welcome back to another edition of the Faithfully Entrusted Podcast with pastor, teacher, author, Dr. Travis Tyler. I'm Zachariah Pugh, and I will be your host today. We want to thank you for joining us uh, today as we continue in on our series of What Does a Mature Christian Look Like? And we are on to number 10 of 12. So we're getting close to wrapping up this series, and we are excited about that. So today, today's topic is about evangelism. And so let me read specifically what Travis wrote here, because... I want to make sure I always give credit for all the work that he does here. Uh, number 10, it understands, a mature Christian understands the character and nature of God, and because of it, can easily communicate the gospel to other people. So, Travis, let's dig into this. I know you've got uh, quite a bit to talk about, and, and we're excited to see what you got here. So, uh, the overall discussion about this is evangelism. Yes. And evangelism, you know, the, the important thing I think behind this is going to, let's start with motivation for evangelism, because mm. I think that most of the time people are afraid to do evangelism for various reasons. Right. Uh, and those can, you know, be, I'm not good at speaking publicly to, I'm, you know, just don't like, I'm a scared of people. Right. Yeah. And so in, in, in everywhere in between. So I think where we have to start with is the Lord and our understanding of who God is and his attributes, which is what this statement says. So our motivation for doing evangelism is primarily driven out of an understanding of who God is. So I would actually argue that if you don't understand God well, you will not do evangelism. Yeah. That they're intrinsically tied together. Uh, so you have to have an understanding of the attributes of God. And I would actually argue that there is one attribute that overshadows all of God's other attributes. And would you want to take a stab at which attribute I think that is? Is that? I, I think it's his, his compassion and love towards us. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say that. But I don't think that that's his primary attribute that overshadows all others. I think and we're his, just, and we're talking. I know God the Son, God the Father, Jesus. We're talking about God the Father. Yeah, well, we're talking about. Well, you can't talk about one without the others, right? Uh, that's right. But uh, <laughs> that was a trick. Uh, the uh, the holiness of God, holiness I believe, God, overshadows yeah. all. So it's not just that God loves us, because if we hear that, we may be tempted to think in terms of cultural love which is very conditional and very, you know, very much tit for tat in many circumstances. You do for yes. me, I do for you. Uh, it's not just grace. It's, it's, a, it's a holy love and it's a holy grace, you know, that, that he gives to us. And it's the only way that the gospel really makes sense. Because otherwise, if you just think God's love, he can just let me off. I don't understand why he has to punish my, his son. You know, I don't, I don't go to my house and when my youngest son does something wrong, punish my oldest son that in the, in the minds of many people. But that doesn't make sense because if you take the holiness element out, the gospel doesn't make sense. You know, it just seems like he could just sort of let things slide, mm-hmm. sort of like parents do. Yeah. So, so I would say the holiness of God and having a healthy understanding of that in his glory is going to spur us on into evangelism. Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're on to something about the, you know, why do we exist, right? As Christians, we exist to glorify God and to show God's glory. Um, 
There's a great book kind of circulating right now. I highly recommend it called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I would highly suggest it to anybody, uh, especially if you've been a believer for a long time. And I would, I would think that a lot of the folks that are listening to this podcast have been believers for a long time. Um, our view of God and how he looks at us and how he loves us, uh, can be, like you just said, Travis, to your point, distorted. You know, we, we look at the love of a father to a son and, and how, Unfortunately, because we sin in our flesh, how we treat our kids sometimes when we're frustrated with them and how um, we don't offer them a lot of grace sometimes. But this book does a really good job of reminding us of God's love for us in the way that, you know, I won't know that I've ever pictured it. I would always say that God's not up there with a magnifying glass trying to burn us every time we make a mistake. You know, I've always said that. I don't know how much I really believed it. You know, like I always thought, hey, this is God creator of the universe who can destroy things and also can give life. You know, he's, he's raising his eyebrows at me, you know, when I make a mistake and I don't think he does that. Um, I think he, I think his, I think his love for us is so passionate and profound that to your point, again, what he wants for us to do is come to him, you know, and just say, Hey, I can't do this. Like I can't do this in my own flesh. Like I need your help and I got to put it at your feet. And when we come to him, just like, if you have kids, that's the joy. Like, what do you love most of when your kids come to you? And it doesn't happen that often. And they're like repetitive and they're like, man, I'm dad. I made a mistake. And just, you want to just wrap your arms around and love them. You don't have any raised eyebrows toward them. Um, it's a, it's a special moment. So I like that. I like how those two are almost tied together. Just, you know, God, Jesus, the Holy spirit are all in one. And then I think God's encompassing love, compassion, and his, like you said, it's it's all combined in one thing. Well, let me let me make biblically a reason why I am saying the holiness of God overshadows all attributes. There are two kind of primary pictures of the throne of God in Scripture, and that's one's found in Isaiah six, and the other one's found in Revelation. And in both pictures, there are creatures that fly around the throne. These are of angelic, heavenly, otherworldly order. Yeah. It would have a, we could say, minimal strange appearance to us. Difficult to describe would be another way to say it. And they're calling out something at the at the throne day and night. And, you know, they're saying, love, love, love is God, right? No, no, that's not what they're saying. What are they saying? Holy, 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 holy yeah. is the Lord God Almighty. And so that that attribute, that otherness, that level of perfection, that level of righteousness is something no other being has. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. And 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 so moving on through this, Travis, what is if if we know God is holy, 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 and we know that he's compassionate and loves us, that's something we want to share with other people, right? Yes, yeah, so we should be spurred to yeah. from from the picture of God's glory, holiness, and perfection. It should spur us on into boldness. Not to mention the fact that Christ even made it clear that all authority has been given to Him. That's sort in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew twenty-eight. Yeah. So we have all authority. We have the authority of the one who gives any and all authority here on earth to go out and be bold for who He is in His glory. But before we kind of dive into that some more, I want to sort of talk about some common lies that our culture believes and that people sit under and continue to believe. Mm. Um, and then we'll sort of advance from there. But 
a common lie that we hear today is you're good enough. God will accept you. Mm. This is a common thing you'll hear on social media that you'll hear from certain pastors. Even, you know, I saw a sticker that encompassed this same lie and concept. It said born fine the first time. (laughs) But the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Yeah, the Bible tells us none are righteous, no, not one, that even our best man or woman on their best day will fall short. You know, think of it in terms of, uh, if you were to think of it in terms of athletics, you know, there's there's always, people don't seem to have a problem with this, you know, for the most part, for most of us, you may be pretty good athletically, but there's always somebody better. There's always somebody that's just a little faster, just a little quicker just a little better at shooting or hitting or whatever it is, or passing or catching. There's always somebody just a little better. And with morality and truth and who you are, there's no exception here. The Lord is by far superior in his holiness. Yeah. And the Pharisees had a problem with this, right? That's why they Mm -hmm. really hated Jesus and what he was standing for. They were the religious elite of the day. They were, they, people looked up to them as almost perfect. They followed the law uh, added new law and yet Jesus called them a brood of vipers. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that, th- this is a part of, this is part of that new, um, new age Christianity where you're good enough and you can get to heaven on your own. And, you know, there's no way God would send anyone to hell. Uh, just the, the start of this phrase, I'm looking at it and we'll post these notes on our, on our podcast notes, but you're good enough. It totally puts it that you can, you can do it. Like it almost is saying, I can achieve salvation on my own. Another one is you'll always have tomorrow to follow God. Mm. Some people know the truth and they think I'll just do what I want to do for now. And then eventually when I'm laying in a hospital bed and got nothing else to do and I've lived my life the way I want, then I'll follow God when I'm laying on my back and really can do nothing for him. Uh, Proverbs 27, 1, Luke 12, 16 through 21, Hebrews 9, 27, remind us. No one's guaranteed tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, and that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. So be bold in speaking the truth. Somebody, you know, we had a guy here in Carter County, well, actually Johnson City, but was from Carter County, 31 years old, was in a wreck yesterday or last week, and they had his funeral yesterday. Mm-hmm. So just because you're 31 and healthy does not mean you're going to see the end of the week. Yeah, the Lord's fixed our time. Uh, I don't know who this quote came from. It's not mine, but it's good to know the truth. And to not follow the truth as is, is, is as if you never knew the truth at all. Yeah, hmm. that's exactly right. Uh, another lie, this one's very common in secular universities. I yeah. heard it multiple, multiple times when I was in philosophy classes at East Tennessee State University. And it is, there are many paths to God. Yeah. And usually the tagline is, all the paths lead to the top of the mountain, kind mm-hmm. of a concept. Uh, Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the truth. I am the way that Jesus says, I am the way, and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except by me. And Acts four twelve tells us that there's no other name under heaven by which men, men and women and boys and girls can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And right along with that is, is that God is loving. He would never yeah. judge you that way. And so, yeah, this is a favorite. Like this yeah. is, this is why. I feel like when we share the gospel, we have to talk about God's holiness because people's view of love is so messed up in our culture today. Yeah. So messed up. And so that's, it's so twisted around that they think, you know, a loving person will just let you do love has been equated to 
affirmation of whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. You know, that truth is what truth is what I make it. I mean, that's the yeah. We we've gone from we've gone from having you can have your own opinion, and now you can have your own truth. And that's not the truth. That's a lie as well. That's right. Water boils at the temperature it boils at. Doesn't matter what your opinion of that is. Uh, You know, uh, water freezes at the temperature it freezes at. It doesn't matter. You you don't get to have individual truth. It's either true or it's not true universally for all people. That's right. And so, you know, with this concept of God would never judge me like that because he loves me. You know, what are you going to do? Roll up on the great white throne judgment day and be like, hey, God, I know you're a good God. So you're going to let me slide. Right. Wink, wink. Well, you know, Jesus made it real clear. You know, you you're not as good as you think you are. You know, if you've ever had lust in your heart and for all the men that are on here, if you're saying no, you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Jesus says it's the same as adultery. Do you, you know, have you ever been angry with someone to the point of hatred? Jesus, be honest with yourself. Yeah. And Jesus tells us that's the same as murder. Have you ever stolen anything? Even if it's you went to the bank and signed with a pen and stuck that pen in your pocket or in your pocketbook accidentally and walked out with it. You're a thief. So you're an adulterer, murdering thief. And you're going to stand before the Lord on judgment day before a holy good God. Do you think you're going to be able to make a case for how good of a person that you are? Yeah. And the answer is no. You know, and, and God will say, you're right that I am loving and good, but because I'm loving and good, you're condemned to hell yeah. for eternity. You cannot the, dwell in my presence like this. You have no advocate or substitute. You you can't pay for your sins forever, so you're going to spend eternity in hell because you've sinned against the Holy God. And then finally, hell isn't a real place anyway. You know, I think one of the devil's best tricks is to convince people he's not there. Yeah. And then also to convince him to convince people that not only is he not there, but hell's not there either. Yeah, I agree. But Jesus makes very clear in Luke 16, 19 through 31, that hell is just as a real place as Nashville, Tennessee, or Elizabethan, Tennessee, and that people are there and people are going there and people will remain there for eternity. Yeah. There is no room for interpretation in Jesus's words. It is plain and clear, and the plain things in Scripture are the main things. And I think the important thing is, I think a lot, one of the things that uh, you hear a lot of people say today in our culture is that, you know, you know they can't, because their theology is way off, they separate God and Jesus, you know, and they're like, Jesus was love, and he was, he was a, you know, he was, you know, he was the sandal wearing, dirty clothes wearing guy who lived out in, in the community and he loved everybody and he was compassionate towards everybody. And he was, all those things are true, but they, I mean, he beat they, people occasionally, they, 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 but other than that, yes, they leave out the parts, you know, about, you know, that's why I think this Luke 16, 19 through 31 is important because that's Jesus. That's your loving loving, compassionate Jesus, who he is, not trying to be sarcastic here, but that's him saying that there is a hell and people are going to go there and people are there. So I think that's important to remember. Um, But you don't have to go there. You don't. And that's why we got to advantage. That's why we got to evangelize. And that's why we got to talk about Jesus for sure. So what's the, what's the next step after that? So we've talked about the lies 
And, uh, and, and those lies can creep in and on us, even Christians, right? There, I know there's, there are times where I'm like, is this all real? Like, is heaven real? Is, is hell real? And that's just, you know, that's Satan and his demons getting in our head and things like that. So you gotta, that's why it's good to know these scriptures and write them on your heart so that you can battle back with Satan, right? He's roaring like a, a lion looking for someone to devour. So we gotta be able to have those scriptures to be able to fight him back with. Exactly. And I would refer our listeners back. I think early in the podcast, we started with the gospel and I would send you back to listen to those for clarity on how to communicate the gospel, because the gospel is a very simple message. And I'm going to give you two quick frames of references so that you understand it. One is more macro, so more of a larger brushstroke painting of the gospel Mm. and the other is micro i have this funny story i was making some business cards not because i think i'm a businessman but when i go to visit people and i miss them i leave my business card with my time or whatever so i've used them quite a bit it's just easy thing to do and um i was on the phone with this lady and she was like oh you're a preacher and I'm always nervous when people do that because I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I was like, yeah, I am. And then, and then the yeah. next because of, of the next question, and the next question is, can I ask you a question? And I have had some absolutely some crazy. Dudes. Yeah, I'm like, sure. You know, let's let's see what it is. <laughs> how, how do you how do you get people to? How do you get young people, youth, to come to your church? I was like, how do you? I said, well, let's start out with where do you go to church? And she said, I go to a Universalist Unitarian church. Mm. Well, I don't know what you know about Universalist Unitarians, but they don't, guess. <laughs> they believe everything. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't believe anything. Right. Is what it, you know, if you believe everything, you believe nothing. So I said, well, you need to start with, we start with the gospel. And she said, yeah, I know you Baptists are real big on the gospels, like plural. <laughs> and I was like, you're, you no. guys are real big on the Bible. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good start. I was like, no, and yeah. I had to correct her and say, no, not the Gospels. We don't believe there's multiple Gospels. We believe there's one Gospel. I said, we believe the Gospels. Maybe she was thinking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe they yeah, were, she, she was. She was because she didn't know the Gospel. <laughs> right. You know, she didn't believe the Gospel because she believed everything else. So let me give the frame of reference here. So four things. First one is this. This would be the macro larger view. It would be framed this way under creation. Creation of all that is made, that was made. The Bible tells us God made that. Fall, that in Adam and Eve, we all fell in our first parents. And so we are desperately lost without God. Redemption is, of course, the plan where God becomes a man and enters into existence. It's sort of like, you know, think about, um, I think we've used this illustration before. You don't like Star Wars, do you? You're not a Star Wars fan, are you? Not a giant fan. I I tolerate you, it. I tolerate it for my boys. Are you a Shakespeare fan? Do you? Yeah, did you read like, Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. go with Shakespeare today. Yeah, I can Feels do that. Good. Feels right. Yeah, I like it. How would Macbeth have a conversation with Shakespeare in his play Macbeth? How would he do that? I don't know. I don't know. Mac- I, I I mean, I like that's twenty years ago for me, Travis. Well, the I'm not answer as enlightened is, on Shakespeare as you are. All right. Well, if Shakespeare was still alive, Shakespeare would have to write himself into the story. Okay. And that's what God did in Christ. He yeah. writes himself into creation. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. 
And so that's that's the redemption aspect where he dies for our own sin and then consummation. So creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And consummation is where God sets what has been wronged and the evil right. Yes. And and where Christ comes to reign as king in the physical and the spiritual. And so we're we're heading towards that last piece ultimately. Now at a more micro level to the individual the gospel looks this way. It's it's also in four parts, just like the first part, but it's God is holy, right? We talked about that already. We are not. We've also talked about that already and how we're not holy and how we're commandment breakers and we do it by choice and by by um desire. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like it's always a struggle. It's like it's always easy to sin. Right. Jesus is the answer, which is, you know, the redemption, Christ, God writing himself into the story. You know, God is the gospel, right? Jesus is the gospel. And then repent and believe, response, you know, and that that's where the consummation happens for you is in how you respond to that truth and that gospel coming to you. So we've you've really done a good job of building the groundwork here for what this all looks like and and you know the ways and what we believe what other people believe what are the strategies for effectively communicating the gospel because like you 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 kind of began with earlier it makes a lot of people nervous you know to do it yeah. and and I would challenge I I've, I've said this a lot on our podcast are you in the word are you praying yeah it's going to be hard to evangelize it's going to be hard to talk about Jesus if you're not feeding yourself on Jesus. So right. that would be where I would start. But what would you say? What are some, after you've done that, let's assume well, we're reading our Bibles, we're writing scripture on our heart and we're praying after we've gotten to that point, what what do we need to do next? So strategies here, there's a bit of an elephant in the room that I feel I need to address before I go further. And that is, uh, I know you're not familiar with this because you're not on any social media platforms, but on TikTok, they have this audio clip of, of a guy basically running to and say, do you have time? And I could, can I share you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And it's always a video of somebody running away from somebody. You know what I mean? Like the person's <laughs> trying to communicate to, could I, excuse me, sir, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus? And they're running away because so many people have made it like weird and awkward yeah. and have used, I would almost argue, inappropriate strategies at times to communicate the gospel. Uh, first of all, let me say this. You're not going to be a, a, a an effective evangelist because we're all called to that. The Bible tells us do the work of an evangelist. You need to think of your evangelism work in terms of two wings of a plane. Your life and how you live is one mm. wing of the plane. Yeah. And what you say and how you say it and your strategy of saying it is the other wing of the plane. Sure. So if you're, <laughs> if you're life and pursuit of holiness and humility is not there, you don't have that left wing of the plane, probably not even going to get off the ground, yeah. you know, so you, you yeah. got to work on self there. So that's, that's the first strategy is living a life of holiness. Second strategy and part of that entailed is going to be being a part of a church, you know, church family and seeking after them. Uh, Christ said, you'll, they'll know you by the way you love one another. So with that out of the way, let's say you've gotten now to a point and you've done those things and you got that wing in good place. Let's talk about the other wing strategies. In my time as a pastor, I've seen, I, I would put evangelism strategies into three camps, three categories, relational, confrontational, and storying. Those would be the three. All right. So I'll kind of briefly explain these real quick and go into them. I think we've already talked about 
relational. Rosaria Butterfield, Dr. Butterfield, has been mentioned in previous podcasts where the pastor befriended her. She was a radical leftist, kind of leaning feminist who was a lesbian and taught, you know, feminism at and I think queer theory at the University of Syracuse. And through building a relationship of having her over for a year. Yeah. She eventually came to church, then she got to know the Lord, then now she's a pastor's wife. But that took a long time. And yeah. I, I would argue this is one of the best models that relational is is a way that I would recommend that you go most of the time. Sure. Yeah. It's it's not always possible. Okay. Like it's not always possible. Like you may be in a scenario where you're on a business trip or whatever and you don't live in the same city. You're probably not going to see this person ever again. They're struggling. There's an opportunity to share the gospel. Go ahead and do it. But being intentional with the, the lives around you, I, I think this is even written in the Great Commission. You could almost translate, you know, everybody puts a lot of emphasis on the go part of the Great Commission, which is great. You should go to share the gospel. But that's not the main emphasis in the Greek. The main emphasis is making disciples. Yeah. So go is servative to making disciples. You could almost translate it correctly as you are going, make disciples, which makes an argument for relational. So as you are going to work, make disciples, as you are going to ball games, make disciples, as you are going on vacation, make disciples, wherever you're going, for whatever purpose and reason you're going, you are making disciples in that process. And I think that's just, it's as easy as just interacting Jesus into your conversations. You know, like if you're like, how do I do that? You know, or, or, you know, you're working with a, you know, maybe you work in a church and it's like everybody here saved. How do I, how do I do that? You know, I think you can do that through little things. When you go out to dinner, ask the waitress or waiter, how can I pray for you? Like just showing Jesus. I think that's one of the things that I try to do is I try to add Jesus to my conversations and pretty much everything that I do. Uh, to let it be a door to open up um, my conversations with people. It's also a great I mean, strategy. You're... If you've got somebody who's annoying and you want to get rid of them, you can just start going into Bible. And uh, hard. Hard. some people, some people will just run, you know, so that's another strategy for those of you who want to get rid of people, you know, as well. Or if you have money, make them a loan, give them a loan for an amount they can't pay back. You'll never see them again. You'll, <laughs> you'll never hear from them. Just, you know, that's how you get rid of people. Like Anyhow, uh, confrontational. Let's move on to that. Uh, the best example of confrontational evangelism has got to be Ray Comfort. Are you familiar with I, him? Yes, I know Ray. I've actually met him. Uh, okay. Ray yes. is, is like the king yes. of confrontational evangelism. But, but, but he's Ray. I love Ray Comfort. I think what, I, well, look, I think not, what, yeah, I know, I don't, I didn't assume you were hating on him. I think that what the, maybe the, a little, but the, the organization is called Living Waters. He is confrontational. I think confrontational though comes across as a. Would you put would you put like street preachers at ball games in the into that confrontational? So that's to me. There's two levels. You got the guy standing on a pillar at a Tennessee game, telling everybody they're going to die and go to hell. That's that's too much in my opinion. Like that's really aggressive. Um. And I think it just turns people off. And then you've got the Ray Comfort model, which is a little less where he, he, I think he did exactly what you did a it while ain't, ago. It ain't much less. It's a little less. I mean, he, he did what he you rolls said. on to college campuses. Yeah. And rolls out to like West Coast. Or yeah, he's the peer. He's, yeah, he's, you know, yeah. the peer there. Yeah. I don't know what peer he's at, but some in San, 
And he's Santa just, Monica Beach is where he's at. Yeah, he's he's yelling at people with bullhorns and mics. Sometimes, I mean, but a lot of times he does what you did, where he says, um, he says, "Have you ever stolen a pen?" You know, it, it, honestly, when you were doing that a second ago, I thought that's Ray Comfort. Like that's exactly that, that, yeah. that. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. And then he says, "Well, you're a lying, cheating, you know, lustful thief. What are you going to say to God now?" And so it's not without yeah. its place, and and it's not without use even in the relational model. Yeah, because you may get to a point where they're at a crossroad and you have to have a confrontation. They they're going to come into confrontation with the gospel. The Bible tells us the gospel yeah, it's is by its nature is offensive. Yeah, and so there there's going to be a point in all evangelism conversations where it's going to get uncomfortable and confrontational, right? Because they're going to have to make a decision: will they believe what the Bible says, or will they believe what the world says? And nobody likes to be told they're a sinner. You know, that's the thing. No. Like people don't like to be told that you're you're a thief and that you're unrighteous. Right. Um, because like we said earlier, everybody thinks that they're better than they are. Real quick, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. What is your opinion? As a, I, We talk about this podcast a lot being you're a pastor, I'm a layperson. We have different opinions, different thought processes. Um, see, I like I like I, I like what Ray Comfort does. I think he challenges people confrontationally, but but gently in his own little way. These street preachers sometimes that I see standing on a pillar or a box just absolutely with a bullhorn or whatever, just talking about how they're, people are going to go to hell, I feel like that is disingenuous and, and it just hurts the gospel. Yeah, you know, there's there's extreme cases. Also, there's a lot of people who like to to get bullhorns and scream at abortion clinics. Yeah. is another place where or, we yeah, see a lot whatever of confrontational you, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... um. I asked one time a guy who did that all the time. I said, "How many how many salvations have you seen from that work you do, where you go down and scream at the abortion clinic?" And he said, "Well, none, but we've saved a few babies' lives." Which I don't know if he did or he didn't. I, I mean, if I'm yeah. if I'm getting ready to make a decision, you know, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of those people going in there. These women are probably lost, most of them. Yeah, they probably feel they don't have enough support from their family to raise a child, it's probably not a great day. No. You know, and I'm going to show up and then I'm going to have people screaming at me on what probably is going to be one of the worst days of my life. Now, I have seen podcasts where women are like joyful about it and resounding about it. I think that's just straight up wicked. Yeah. It's just straight up wickedness to, to be happy about murder. He may have turned a few away, but they came back when his bullhorn was silent. Yeah. And so, you know, um, anyhow, and I don't know. I mean, maybe God has used it. Maybe somebody listening to this can call in and leave us an email and say, we've seen X amount of people come to Christ through screaming at them. Maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. I just, it would not appeal to me if Jesus, I were an unbeliever. Jesus is our model. He he didn't he didn't he didn't run around screaming at people. Well, what I what I think the problem is, this is what I think. Jesus is tough and tender, okay? That's right. It's a great way to put it. He is tough on Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes who are God's people in the church. So if you're going to and then he's tender with like the woman at the well and people caught in, and the woman who was caught in adultery and he wrote in the sand. Remember that? So he's very tender to people caught in all kinds of sexual morality. 
And what we've done in 21st century American evangelicalism is we flip that. Mm-hmm. And we like to yell and scream at abortion clinics and people that are, you know, caught in various sexual sin. And we like to be very tender to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the four walls of the church. And what we need to do is flip that. If we're going to scream at anybody, let's scream at the Pharisees. That's right. And let's well, scream it's at us. the Sadducees. Because yeah. we're the Pharisees. And, and let's scream at them. If you looked yeah. at my Facebook page, that's what I say I am. I'm a recovering Pharisee, and I that's need right. to be screamed at. So, uh, <laughs> And let's be tender towards those that are caught in sexual morality. I think that, and that's the thing, too, with the homosexual and transgender agenda is, is so in our face. It's everywhere. You can't watch commercials without it. I have to remind myself that if it was, if, if Jesus was here today walking on the earth, he he would be ministering to those people. Those would be the people that would be coming over to have supper at his house. You know, and the Bible talks about the tax collectors and the and the sinners, and those would be the people. And there probably were some of those people that were at his table that he was ministering to. Oh, well, sure. So. And, you know, the Bible challenges us to share the truth in love. So in using love. the airplane analogy again, your evangelism is not going to fly if you don't have love and truth, the two wings of that, right? Uh, lifestyle, voice, truth, and love. So if you're all truth and no love, you're just mean and That's hateful. Right. Yeah. And if you're all love and no truth, you have nothing to say to them. So it's it's both sides there. It's got to be both. That's a great be. analogy. That's a really good analogy. So, all right. So the last one would be storing as we try to wrap this up. So I, I just made this as a third category. I would say this is this is very popular on the mission field. And the reason that I included it on this list is because America is now a mission field. Like we've gone all the way back around to needing to be re-evangelized. So here's how this works. So like in Papua New Guinea, they would get the people together and they would store they would tell the Bible in story format, they would begin in Genesis with creation, you know, move through the fall of Adam and Eve, or they would start in the Gospels, and they would start with the birth of Jesus and move forward that way. And we got a lot of we got a lot of kids. We got this is particularly an effective strategy with children today. We have a lot of children, a lot of young adults, who have no idea what the stories and the narratives of the Bible say, and so it's very difficult to evangelize them with those four points that I gave either on either level, if they have no biblical framework to think about it in. And so this is like very much taking them back to ground zero in -hmm. some ways, like the days where you knocked on the door and you said, Oh, here's the gospel. And, you know, people already had a like church point or a biblical framework to work that with. That's not happening now. Like we have a lot of people who have no biblical point of view and no biblical reference. And you got to go all the way back to the foundation, starting with creation and moving forward. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that other countries around the world are sending missionaries. Yes, we are. We are sending and receiving nation for, for missionaries. Missionaries are coming here. A lot of Korean missionaries come here and plant churches. A lot of Africans come here and plant Mm -hmm. churches like we, and we need it. There's a lot of people and we need them here to do that. Yeah. I love it. Very, very good. All right. As we wrap up, um, reflection and personal application, um, 
and and being prepared to be able to give a hope an answer for the hope that we have like kind of put a button on all this for us Travis well i think i think it's just it's not complicated today's mm-hmm. it's not complicated it's just a matter of doing reading a book this week by Ryle, J.C. Ryle, and he said, you know, a young preacher said, I need more faith. And he was instantly corrected by an older preacher in 1884 and said, no, you need more work. You need to do more for the Lord. You know, it's not that God, God certainly brings the harvest, but we need to do as much cultivating and as much praying and as much engagement engagement as we can uh, with the lost and dying world that we're in. Uh, I would also recommend in our closing comments here a book called Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. You'll put this in the notes, I think, right, for the show. Uh, That's probably the best book on evangelism that I've read, period. And uh, I would would really recommend people, if you're wanting to sharpen your evangelism skills, read Metzger's book, and you can send me an email and thank me later. (laughs) I like it. All right, well. What is your nugget for the day as we wrap up this uh, topic number 10 on what does a mature Christian look like on evangelism? Today's nugget comes from the great Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or not. Great preacher evangelist in England years ago, uh, died in 1981 and uh, was born there in the late 1800s. And here's what he says on the topic of evangelism. Now, this is Many people in our culture, particularly here in the mountains, we think evangelism's only about saving souls. And Martin Lloyd-Jones has a rebuke for us, and here's what he says. The supreme object of the work of evangelism is to glorify God, not to save souls. I love it. Isn't that fa- What does that mean, Zach? When you hear that, like that almost that shifts the whole perspective, doesn't it? Do we want to get into a Calvinism discussion late in this podcast? No, I'm not bringing up the big C here. This is just the truth of the matter. Well, yeah, it, it puts the onus on like everything we do, it's God. Any good thing that comes out of you or anything that's good out of me is Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. And this is, I think that's what that's talking about. It's like, just show people Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest of the work. Just show him, them love. Just show them compassion. Show them, like you talked about the plane, show them your life. Don't be a hypocrite, you know, and people will see that. And my wife, um, she, ha- she shows Christ so much that people flock to her and come to her Bible study. Like their, their Bible study has like, they have like 20 women in a Bible study that the church wants them to have like 10. Because she personally has had like three women come who not of them, none of them were unsaved, but she so exuded Christ that they wanted to be a part of whatever she was a part of. That's, that's evangelism. You know, are we walking? Are we showing it? I love that. So the supreme object of the work of evangelism is to glorify God, not to save souls. You know, Billy Graham was phenomenal, but it was Christ working through him. You know, you're phenomenal. What you do every week at your church. Go on. Flattery will get you everywhere. You're amazing. You're the greatest pastor (laughs) in Elizabethan, Tennessee. But it's 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 Christ. It's Christ working through you, you know, and that's the thing. And and that goes back to everything that we've talked about today. It's not us. It's Jesus. That's right. If you'd like to reach out to us, give us some topics, or even if you have any questions, or if you have concerns about anything we've talked about, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear complaints, anything. Faithfullyentrusted at gmail.com. Uh, that's the best way to reach us. Faithfullyentrusted. Just say at, complaints. Yeah, We'd love absolutely. to hear complaints. Uh, for sure. <laughs> okay. Re- your loving rebukes, whatever. 
faithfully entrusted at gmail.com. And you can reach out to us there. Tell us what you think, how we can pray for you, uh, topics you'd like to hear from Dr. Travis Tyler and myself. Also, this podcast is available wherever podcasts are listened to. So please share it. And we're on week three of doing our video podcast. So if you want to watch us, see us in uh, bright, amazing color, um, Spotify is the way it's a place to find us. So you can direct people there, but you can also direct people uh, to iTunes, Google Play, uh, and I believe we're on iHeartRadio as well. So, Travis, thank you so much for your time today. Read that nugget one more time for us and remind us of why we evangelize in the first place. The supreme object of the work of evangelism is to glorify God, not to save souls. I love it. Good, good stuff. For Dr. Travis Tyler, I'm Zachary. Oh, 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 go. Don't don't let me walk on you. Isn't it all about glorifying God anyway? That's right. That's how he is most manifested. It's almost like we need to close out with the song To God Be the Glory. We won't do it, but we, we almost should. You know. So. You want to sing we, it for us? You can do that at the end. No, you can do it at the end. Can't you add it at the very end whenever we go out? Yeah, thank you for adding work to my plate. I appreciate it. And I'm happy to do it for you. I really am. <laughs> I'll have to find it. For uh, Dr. Travis Tyler, I'm Zachariah Pugh. Join us next time when we open God's Word to find out how Christ has faithfully entrusted us with His Word. We will see you next time. God bless. Have a great day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son.